welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone and welcome back to Time Shifters. Christopher is here in in like physical studio, in virtual studio. I am once again joined by Tom. Tom, how you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. Been looking forward to the day. So, Absolutely. yeah, kind of excited. Uh, joining us again as well is our good friend Floyd. Floyd, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, wow. Fan, yeah. Fanfare. I love it. Thanks. Two episodes in a row there for I you. Know. <laughs> you know. I know. I, I was list, started listening to the uh, the Black Hole episode this morning, or this afternoon, and I thought, but wow, uh, I was on that one, and I'm doing another one tonight. So. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's got, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm glad Tom's the one that uh, suggested we do this one as a follow up to uh, the black hole, and it's a fan- it was a fantastic idea and one I I, it, I would not have thought of it. <laughs> so Tom, thanks for bringing it up. I it, like literally as we closed recording, I'm like, oh, this would make an excellent segue. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Floyd, you said yourself when I posted that we were going to talk about it, that you're like, oh, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, because there were some, you know, not a lot of similarities between the two films, but, but there, I mean, there was a few enough to where it made me, it made me think of Event Horizon mm-hmm. uh, with this film. And I get, we can get into that when we actually start talking about the film. Sure, sure. No, I think we could de- you could definitely consider these films sort of like distant cousins, maybe. Well, yeah, kind of like well, and for Disney, as we discussed last time, the black hole, kind of dark for a Disney film, and this takes that and ratches it up to the nth degree. <laughs> right. Well, before we get any further, before we actually jump into actually talking about the the uh, event horizon here, we do need to talk about a couple little bits of news stories here. Unfortunately, both are kind of sad. I have a couple sad news stories. First one, um, and this I think happened just maybe just a couple days. When did it happen? Oh, maybe at a week or so after we recorded. Uh, man, it is this one. It just actually both really suck. But <laughs> the first one here, <laughs> Kirk well Douglas. One of them out. Yeah, Kirk Douglas has finally passed away oh, at age man. 103. Wow, uh, an amazing life. I mean, how many yeah. actors do you know that you can say? We have 70 years, at least, of a career to look back on. Uh, the guy was amazing. From his earliest role, his first film role in a film called The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, everything up to uh, Lust for Life, to Spartacus, to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, 
what was the uh, the final countdown that Matt and I just covered you know, like a month or two ago. Uh, countless films, all kinds of different roles, and every one of them he gave absolutely 100%. And, you know, whether or not you like the film, you there's no way you could walk away and say, yeah, but I didn't like Kirk Douglas. You know, <laughs> he was amazing in everything he did. Absolutely. I mean, obviously he hasn't worked. You haven't seen him in any films in quite some time. But it's still just a. Uh, you just feel like there's like he, he's like one of the last of like golden age Hollywood. You know, is there anyone else left <laughs> from that well, era? Uh, well, and even into his uh, elder ages, uh, he still made cameos and such and things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I'm pretty sure he at least well into his 90s. I think he would still make an appearance in some film. Probably something that was produced or maybe Michael Douglas was starring in or producing or something like that. Um, and he seemed like a, just a great guy. I saw him on multiple interviews and you can't fake being that good of a guy, you know, <laughs> on, on every interview. He just seemed like a real, I uh, just enjoyed life and he had a lot of life to enjoy. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's just sad to see him go. Absolutely. Now, another one here, and this one I know uh, two of us, if not all three of us, were a fan of at least one of the series that he starred in. But uh, Robert Conrad, who mm-hmm. uh, starred in the, the series Hawaiian Eye, Bob Baba Black Sheep, and, of course, The Wild Wild West. Yes. And then yeah. also, for mo- many of us, all through, I think, the 80s, you know, he dared us to knock a battery off his shoulder during <laughs> commercials. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he passed away at the age of 84. Um, again, very unfortunate. Not an actor. I don't think he's been working much uh, lately. I don't think I've seen him in anything. But, yeah, he's got one of those ones, uh, those actors he's, he's got. It's like all the series that he did, like, oh, he took the easy way and only good, did good TV series, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're going to be remembered, be remembered the correct way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, even uh, I, you mentioned Wild Wild West, and they tried that that attempt at a movie, and still the TV series <sighs> way rises above. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. I think I even read that uh, Robert Conrad was not a fan of that film. He thought it <laughs> just didn't work. And it's like, yes, sir, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> You guys nailed it the first time. You're right. You should have left it alone. Exactly. Yeah. That's a fun series to kind of go back and revisit, too. Yeah, that's actually one I would absolutely adore um, as soon as I figure out where I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, I don't think it's streaming anywhere. I know. <laughs> and, that, and that's a crime. Yeah. I think you can probably find the series on DVD at the library or something like that, but I doubt you could buy one brand new. I don't know if anything like that is still in print. But the library is probably your only hope. Well, and, and so and we will search at some exactly. point. <laughs> Maybe half-price books, perhaps. Ooh, yeah, yeah. if you get lucky, if you kind of just go on a scavenger hunt. Yes, but now everybody is listening to this, and they're going to go snipe it from us. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah, so we won't talk about that anymore. No, 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 no. Don't don't you dare go to a half. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Especially not not the one in Mason. Stay away from it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I think, I, I thought there were some other news stories I wanted to mention, but damned if I could find it now. Uh, the new James Bond thing was just released today. Very slow and interesting. Uh, oh, Is there a new be trailer a, out? What's that? No trailer, there, I don't think. No? I don't think I've... Not, not, I think, didn't something come out, like a teaser trailer or something? Came out a while ago, but I don't think anything new came out. Yeah, no, I haven't seen anything new yet. The Oscars, which I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I bowed out on the Oscars this year, too. I just wasn't feeling it. No. Oh, I did share a news story in the Facebook group. There was a... You can purchase a uh, replica of Bill and Ted's phone booth. I saw that. It only cost you $8,500. I know, right? <laughs> wow. So, you know, you only get two, then. Yeah. yeah. The make, out, one for the outdoor and one for the indoor. Yeah, it makes a great gift, I think, is what that boils uh, down to. <laughs> and, uh, by the way, you send those two. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I did just post, I think coming out this spring, there's a Godzilla Monopoly game. Yeah, I saw that yes. post. <laughs> That's going to have that. to be a must-buy, I think, for me. <laughs> it would be worth it just to watch you play Monopoly. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I'd, absolutely, I'd probably never play it. <laughs> I'd get it, I'd open it, I'd take it out, look at all the little figures, put it back in a box and put it on a shelf <laughs> where it can be displayed. That'd be a really neat like if you if you had like a big uh, a big enough coffee table you could like do a little shadow box display. That one would look yeah. really cool. I uh, see. I want to play it. <laughs> really? Did you hear yeah. me say Monopoly? <laughs> I, I, I'm actually one of those sadists that can get into a, a Monopoly game. So. Oh, all right. <laughs> Oh, you Besides, pass. just to move Godzilla around the board, why not? Yeah, okay. Good point. <laughs> and who knows, there could be some special rules just for Godzilla. Right. Yeah, who knows? Maybe uh, uh, instead of paying rent, he burns down your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, telling my, uh, I was telling my wife about the game and and everything and talking with my son too. And I was like, yeah, the problem is I just seldom find myself with like a spare two days to play the game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's all the news stories I had. I definitely had to mention just cause we lost two just tremendous uh, actors and both of which have been in several things that, you know, I've, uh, I've enjoyed in my life. So, yeah, had had to had to bring that up and just a few no, other absolutely. little bits and pieces. Wait, way to bum everybody out though, right away. Yeah, yeah, but we finished on Godzilla Monopoly and well, oh, true, true. The new... <laughs> there was there was something I uh, I'm sure you guys saw this uh, the uh, that radio signal that was being received at regular intervals oh, every the, sixteen the, minutes every, apart. Yeah, every sixteen yeah. minutes. Yeah, so that's, that was pretty interesting from five hundred million light years away. Interesting. I think I actually I thought I heard something about that quite a while ago, but was there something new about it? Yeah. Yeah, there was a recent uh, recent article I, that got posted. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, they, I think they said they started detecting sub-signals from there in 2007, but now it's become every 16 minutes they get a uh, fast radio burst. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, but so well, alien, aliens are trying to communicate with us from 500 million light years away. <laughs> well, I, for one, welcome our alien overlords. And uh... <laughs> We'll go ahead and take a break here and we'll play our promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we are going to talk about, what was the year, 97? Yes, 1997's Event Horizon. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore i am in the most sincerest of senses disappointed in you it takes a powerful goddess like connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it i'm still tripping out over that even as a kid i was like i gotta find a girl like that every week i I get a new look of disappointment that i never thought i could get out of unimaginable at 12 years old you should not be watching this obviously at 13 you should not be 14 you shouldn't be i'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be a you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. This morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon was the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where's she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space... There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. Captain Miller! I've got some problems here! This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been? And what it's brought back with it. Did you hear that? What is it? This ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger. Telling me that this ship is alive? Oh. I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh my god. 
knows my secrets. <laughs> knows my fears. Vacate. I want off this ship. I can't leave. She won't let you. Right, Vent Horizon. Now, let's start with trying to figure out how we each came to this film. I think that's always kind of... I think sometimes that can factor into into our our thoughts on the film. I, myself, I'm pretty sure... No, I'm positive I didn't see it in the theater. It had to have been of a home video watch. In 97, could have even been on VHS, honestly. Um, Very well. Very possible. Yeah. Uh, Floyd, how about yourself? I saw it in the theater. Did you? Yep. Well, let me ask Tom, what, what about yourself? Did you see it in the theater or was it a home video? <laughs> no, I, I, I actually remember uh, vividly uh, deciding I wanted to go to this um, and remembered going with a, a group of folks to it. Uh, we were kind of excited. At, um, while there's always space and horror combinations this one kind of stood out as one that really wanted to see and it had such a strong cast that you wanted to i I wanted to be a part of seeing this in a theater gotcha cool yeah so you definitely were drawn you you saw the the sci-fi and horror elements being blended and that interested you was that the same with you floyd uh, no, I wasn't even aware of the horror elements. I just knew that this was about a spacecraft that was lost for seven years, and they were trying to figure out what happened to it. So I had no clue going into it that there were horror elements. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a surprise. Yeah, yeah. quite. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that kind of – I'm glad I asked this question, then, because I think that really sums up kind of the issue this film had when it first released, because it was apparently – it was marketed really poorly, and there was a lot of people who, like Floyd, didn't really know what they were getting themselves into when they went to see the film. I think there was probably people like Floyd that were a sci-fi fan, wanted to go see a sci-fi film, and they yes. you know, got a horror film. Mm-hmm. And there was probably a lot of horror fans that maybe thought it looked like a horror film and went and also got a sci-fi film. <laughs> <laughs> and so it probably was a lot of people going, well, I'm not sure who to recommend this to. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that actually draws me into a film is that uh, that kind of that blending. It, it, it doesn't have to be one cookie cutter thing. Now, would you guys. So, Floyd, you saw this film, you went to it looking for a sci fi film. It ended up mm-hmm. to you being a horror film. Is there is it really a sci-fi horror, or do you think it's just a horror film that happens to have like sci-fi trappings? Where where would you put it most strongly? It's a horror film with sci-fi trappings. <laughs> That's right, but yeah. Wow, I was actually going to go the other way around. Really? <laughs> uh, I, I, honestly, uh, it, it was more. I I felt that this was a a universe that they were trying to envision um, that this was definitely a, a piece of technology uh, that they were very much interested in that would expand our exploration. So 
I very much got the, the more of the sci-fi, and then the horror part comes out of it going just horribly wrong. Gotcha. All right, interesting. I actually lean uh, more with Floyd. I, I think it's a horror film. I think it the the sci-fi bit is kind of like the MacGuffin to get you into the the horror elements of the film of, or of the story. I mean, it could in this case it's a type of uh, propulsion system. It's the, the mm-hmm. gravity drive, but it could yeah. have easily have been a Ouija board or a. Uh, <laughs> A, a magic book or something that someone finds at the library, you know, uh, it didn't have to be sci-fi. It didn't have to be a spaceship or take place in space. That's probably a fair point. I mean, yes, the goal was to get to that journey to hell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you could have gotten there anyway, but I, I felt like they really did a good job kind of, uh, um, building a background, kind of giving a, a reason for these things to exist. Uh, they put a lot of thought into some of the science around the the, the, the space travel portion. I, the, I, for for that maybe being the vehicle to bring the horror, they put a lot of work into it. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Now, I mentioned uh, Sam Neill. We should talk about some of the rest of the cast members. It's an interesting cast, and in some cases, it's kind of a cast of... I won't say that they weren't known, but that some of them haven't, hadn't quite you know, found like the film that was going to kind of cement them in everyone's mind. Starting with Lawrence Fishburne. Obviously, he's done you know, many... He had done many things prior to this point, but it would be a few more, four more, few more years before he would appear in The Matrix, which I think kind of cemented Lawrence Fishburne's role and certainly in Geekdom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he, like, and he played uh, Captain Miller. He was the captain of the Lewis and Clark, the rescue vessel. Sam Neill, as I said, was Dr. Weir. And he had just come off, of, well, not just come off, but just a few years prior, uh, Jurassic Park. Absolutely. It was kind of like his big, everyone knew who Sam Neill was because mm-hmm. of Jurassic Park. We had uh, Kathleen Quinlan, uh, which is a name I recognize, but I can't honestly say I know, you know, from what. I think it, she just got it. Must be one of those names that she's been in stuff, and I've heard people say her name, sort of thing. Yeah, it was bugging me through the whole movie that I'm like, I have seen you in so many things, but what are they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's done television as well as film, um, quite a lot of television actually here, especially recently. Um, television show blue chicago fire prison break uh so yeah quite a i guess going back into the early 2000s but yeah she kind of bounces back and forth between film and television she's in apollo 13 must make her an effective character actor because she just she's everywhere and she blends in nicely yeah i think that's exactly what you would call her then we got to see uh, Jolie Richardson, uh, which is Stark, which you just mentioned. Not anybody I recognize from anything. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I know. Do you know some newer from something? I, I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm pulling her up real quick because uh, I know I've seen her in a number of other things. She's been in the series The, the Tudors. Oh, she, that's where I remember her from is the series Nip and Nip Tuck. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, no, she uh, featured predominantly in there, too. Um, but, yeah, no, she's been in a number of things over the years. Yeah, it looks like she was just uh, in the uh, film that just came out 
just earlier this year, just or, or earlier this month, The Color Out of Space. She appears in that as well. So that's one I'm good, definitely going to be checking out soon. So at least two things I've seen her in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she was in King Ralph. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> she was the princess. Oh, then I have seen her in something. You have. <laughs> How could you forget? Yeah. Now, Richard Jones and Jack Noseworthy, definitely, I don't think, they must are just more character actors. Um, maybe I've seen them in things. Definitely didn't uh, jump out. Yeah, no, Jason Isaacs, you know, he um, was probably, he's known a little bit more now. Uh, after uh, the Star Trek Discovery, he was the uh, Captain Lorca in, I guess, season one of Discovery, right? Season one, yeah. yes. Yep. And, oh, definitely one that jumped out for me, Sean Pertwee, which I had no idea I'd actually seen him in film anywhere. He's son of John Pertwee, the third Doctor, and from yeah, Doctor I was, Who. I was wondering about that when I saw his name. Yeah, uh, and apparently I think he's actually done some audio work as the third Doctor. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. That's Very interesting. Cool. Um, I, I, of course, know him more from his more recent stuff in Gotham as Alfred. Oh, interesting. Oh. I did not know that. Oh, and I think he was also, uh, was he in the film? Oh, what was the, um, it was kind of like the, 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 the werewolf film. It's really good. I'm going to hmm. pull him up real quick and look. I may have missed that film. Oh, Dog Soldiers. Dog have you seen Dog Soldiers? No, but now I need yeah. to. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say Teen Wolf. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, he see, Secretly, he is Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check out Dog Soldiers. It was... What year was that? I just had it. Michael J. Fox. What did I say? <laughs> I know who you meant. <laughs> Dog Soldiers was 2002. All right. Definitely, uh, yeah, some, that's something to check out. That that may be a future episode. <laughs> I'd like to kind of revisit that one, too. It's been a lot. I saw it when it first came out on home video. I haven't seen it since. So Maybe I, that should be the theme for the year, have each thing segue into the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think he's actually was approached or asked about actually coming on Doctor Who and, like, portraying. I'm trying to think if he actually did audio or if they he was asked and he declined. There was something about him appearing. He actually declines. He didn't want to do an impression of his father. But it was something like that. But yeah, he's he's definitely been involved in some way with the Doctor Who universe. Might have just made some appearances on uh, like Halloween or something, dressed up like the Third Doctor or something <laughs> like that, and, and looking quite you know a lot like his dad. Yeah, very much. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I really liked him in going back to Event Horizon. I actually really liked him in this in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, he no, was I, like the he was Smith. I he yeah. was sort of like the engineer of he was the Lewis the and Clark. He was the pilot. The pilot and engineer, I think. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah, no, 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 yeah. Well, I think they all had to uh, kind of keep the ship clued together. But yeah, his main role was pilot. But yeah, after that, the ship had become damaged. Him and uh, at least one other were in charge of repairs. Yeah, I think him and Cooper are usually the ones that were outside yes. um, putting everything back together. But I did, like, I mean, unfortunately, kind of jumping ahead when he, uh, they find out that uh, Weir's planted a bomb in the Lewis and Clark and uh, Miller's telling him to get out of there. He's like, I just put this back together. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, he was fantastic. I really liked him in that. While he was the gruff, stern, strong guy, uh, in this film he was probably more the voice of reason than most. Yeah, good point. He was the he was one of the first ones to uh, pretty much kind of come out and say that he wasn't going to take any crap from Weir. <laughs> and that he kind of blamed Weir for everything that was going on. Well, and he was the one that recognized you don't walk inside the haunted house. (laughs) (laughs) So he's he's the smart one. (laughs) Yes, very much. Now, this is the first time I had watched this film in quite some time. Uh, This is probably maybe the third time I had seen it. Uh, Did both of you guys rewatch this film before recording? Um, Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Floyd. Yes. I did. Yes. I actually went to Half Price Books and bought a DVD for six bucks. Oh, yeah, that's worth it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's actually available on Netflix. And actually, one of the things that I was reading about the film prior, um, one of the ways that this film has kind of latched on as kind of a cult classic mm-hmm. is is it became available just as uh, um, Netflix started their streaming service back at the time. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of stayed on board as almost like a flagship sci-fi horror film. Interesting. In fact, I literally have it playing in the background while we speak. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's available on several different streaming services. I just rented it off of Google Play. It's like three bucks, you know, to, to, to watch it. And it's, you know, the good... High quality. It's HD for three dollars. I'm like, yeah, that's worth it. It's fine. And considering, like I said, the last time I watched it may have been on VHS. It's probably the best way I've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Now that I can see the pores of every individual, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It makes me glad. <laughs> it honestly <laughs> makes me glad that we don't have Paul Anderson's original two-hour cut. <laughs> <laughs> Paul W. S. Anderson, uh, Paul W. S. Anderson directed the film, and what he originally shot was over two hours long, and it included a lot more of the gore and torture that is uh, really only kind of glimpsed and hinted at in the in the final cut. Um, I actually think that's this film's better for it. I don't think I would enjoy this film as much as I do if that was still intact. I wasn't aware that uh, most of what might have been left behind was more of the horror element. I was kind of hoping, well, maybe not hoping isn't the right word, but I was. Uh, it'd be nice if there were more um, the story uh, that the, the 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 elements that you needed to get from what happened to what's happening now. You would have liked to have seen yeah. more from Event Horizon before they traveled, or. Or, or maybe maybe uh, maybe something more out of the logs about what was going on, or maybe a little more slow build up into um, the events that were starting to creep everybody out and cause them to go, "We got to get out of here." Gotcha. Um, okay. Because uh, a lot of what was happening uh, was, and, and I was noticing that even as I watched this, this was shorter than I thought it was originally. Yeah, hour and a half, like hour, hour thirty nine, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting that to be at least a little longer, a little closer to the two hours. Uh, but like most of the 
the scare elements uh, only happened to like two, two or three of the people uh, at first until everything kind of just cut loose. Mm-hmm. Like they focused heavily on um, Peters and her missing her son. Right. Okay, so you would have liked to have seen a little bit more um, of everyone kind of falling apart, everyone being influenced by whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, uh, J- the Justin character who slips into the portal very mm-hmm. early in the movie, um, he's essentially lost his mind, and they can't do anything. He, he becomes a throwaway up until the it, the truly exciting scene where they actually have their turn at uh, spacing a person. Right. Now, everything I read um, is pretty much saying that what they had to cut was all the violence and a lot of the, like I said, what is glimpsed and, and hinted at in the, uh, in the video log of the event horizon with the original crew. And that's the stuff that was uh, kind of excised as well as a few other scenes. Uh, there were other scenes besides that, but the bulk of it was the gore and the horror. Now, Floyd, obviously you went into this as a sci-fi film. You ended up with a horror film, but do you agree that, would you would you agree I, I haven't even asked whether or not you still enjoyed the film <laughs> when i went into the theater expecting it to be a science fiction and it turned out to what it really was when i left um i can't say that i really disliked the film mm-hmm. i pretty much loathed the film really <laughs> oh wow yeah because it was it it made absolutely no sense to me why in the world would someone build a spacecraft like that <laughs> oh, you, know, you want to I mean, jump into the spacecraft design? Yeah, do we do we do what? Let's not jump into production design into the into the production design or anything quite yet. Okay, because so, I because I, I want to note looking at it as a horror film, I'm of the opinion that you know less is more. Yeah, and just yeah. the idea, the little glimpses that we get of what went on and what the original crew did to each other and to themselves. I think is far more disturbing and frightening than if they had actually shown it. If they had actually shown it, it would just be oh, yeah. disgusting. It would just be yeah. gross. Yes. So, yeah. so I think yeah. this it it actually benefits this film by not having that included. Oh yeah, yeah. I will say that I've watched it probably. I watched it just recently, you know, a few days ago, and I think I watched it one other time just to see. Now that I knew it was what it was about, to see if I liked it better. I still didn't like it much, but <laughs> I didn't loathe it anymore. <laughs> okay, well, good. You know, it's progress. Know, at least, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least, at least I watch it, but but we'll get into the um, uh, the reasons why as we get into the the production and the ship design and and all that. All right, fair enough. But, but I agree completely with you that uh, just having those glimpses uh, was much scarier than if they would just. Yeah, had full scenes where you sit there and watch that stuff. And it would have detra- it would have detra- detracted from it and probably made it to where I probably would have walked out. <laughs> and it. it probably would have actually made it a little ahead of its time because it would be maybe well, not even ten years later that you started getting some of the the, the torture porn type of films like um, Saw and Hostel. Mm. And this yeah. really would have kind of. Uh, been ahead of its time in that regard. So I think that's exactly where this would kind of fall. Oh, yeah. 
Now, in a, in a 2017 interview with uh, Paul Anderson, he uh, he said that John Goldwyn of Paramount, uh, one of the studio heads, admitted to him that the marketing was pretty well botched. And <laughs> he actually uh, offered to help release a director's cut. But apparently the footage that they had originally, all of the footage that they had filmed, you know, this is, was done pre-kind of DVD or pre-digital. Pre-digital editing. Yeah, and uh, all the footage, they, they really just couldn't find enough of the footage that was of good enough quality to actually put it together into a film. I think the, the best they found was like an the entire film like on some old VHS you know, tape or something like that, and there was really nothing they could do about it. So by 2017, Anderson just gave up the idea of ever uh, releasing anything. Unfortunately, whatever was out there has been lost to time. <laughs> No. <laughs> they did make an effort, though. They searched all over the place. You know, they they even found what they say it was like some salt mine in Poland or something. <laughs> they they found a a piece, you know, a few uh, reels of film or something. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so yeah, they 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 looked. They just they couldn't find anything. Not enough to be able to put it together. Now I have to admit, I don't remember how this was marketed. I don't remember seen the the ads or the commercials certainly not enough to get me to actually try to go and see it in the theater i did, i'm almost 99 percent positive i didn't see it in the theater yeah no i know i saw it in the theater but yeah i i can't remember much around marketing beyond maybe of caught it caught a trailer of some kind while in another film at one point yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Something like this, probably commercials didn't run on television all that much. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure in that day and age how you would run one for this without. I, it's probably how Floyd would have ended up going, thinking he was going to see a sci-fi. Movie. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Is maybe if it did run on television, you would have had to have cut so much of the horror elements out that. Yeah, you definitely would have been walking in expecting something else entirely different. And, and to that point, I mean, that is kind of the the thing with this. When it's when they're doing the horror elements, it's horror. It, it, it's slasher film horror yes. stuff. Uh, it, there's nothing subtle <laughs> about what they're trying to convey. So not a lot of... Uh, of the jump scares or anything like that. It's just straight. We're going to gross you out as much as we can. I do think I, I almost, in, in a way I disagree on the no jump scares. I think what's this film actually does really well. And I, I actually give props to Anderson for doing this is I think there's some jump scares because there's moments when you're waiting and expecting something to happen and nothing does. <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of those things where you know someone's climbing a ladder and the music's swelling and you're just waiting for oh she's gonna she's gonna look and she's gonna see oh no she's just gonna climb the ladder some more and you know it, it kind of <laughs> keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's almost as as frightening as if something did jump out at her. So you're you're looking at it more the reverse jump scare. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's that anticipation that is getting you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they do a great job of kind of building up anticipation and not actually having a payoff. And, you know, there are times where you could say that that would be 
kind of annoying, but I think in a film like this, it actually works really well because it keeps you uneasy. And I think that's kind of the point of this movie is it wants you to be a little uneasy. Oh, I would completely agree. Yeah. And and since I do have it kind of playing in the background here, I, I'm literally watching a moment uh, that that goes along with what you're saying. Uh, the uh, Justin has come out of the portal. Cooper is there to catch. And they're in that room with all those giant pointy things on the wall. And yeah. they're floating free toward the wall. And you're just waiting for somebody to get impaled. And it doesn't happen. Exactly. But it didn't let you up, um, like just because they just crashed into the wall safely. You're like, that was still kind of freaky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a perfect example. Yes, definitely. No, so yeah, I get your point. It's kind of the anti jump scare. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's that sense that uh, something's going to happen, and it's not letting you off the hook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in this case, the characters didn't get the point. Ah. <laughs> and we'd like to thank Floyd for coming today. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame he had to Oh, go. I'm sorry. I think we lost Floyd. <laughs> oh, darn, internet went down again. <laughs> yes, it did. Click. <laughs> now, I think we do have to start talking about some of the set designs and stuff and the, and the special effects. Uh, 1997... Uh, you know, this is early CGI days. Yes. But for 1997, the CGI is used sparingly and is actually done pretty well. Uh, most of the CGI is like things like uh, when they first board the Event Horizon, there's things floating through the hall. And all those things floating, if you look, you know, like I said, now watching it on HD, you can tell oh, yeah. those are CGI. Yeah. They're not really there. No, they but, look like CGI, but they're actually not not too bad for 97. Yeah. No, and it, when watching in theater at the technology of 1997, it was when you're watching it in a theater like that and it's not HD. Right. You're you're you can't entirely tell. So No. Yeah. No, and I think we're probably I think our eyes too are a little bit more just because We've been dealing with CG for you know thirty years now. Yeah, I think we're kind of, I don't we've kind of we've trained ourselves to kind of spot it. Yeah, and you can see good from bad. <laughs> exactly. So these er, these early days when we weren't used to seeing it, something like that would happen, and and maybe we would just sort of think hmm, that looks a little off, but you wouldn't really know, understand why. Right. The uh, they did do a really impressive, and I think this was possibly all CG, maybe a little bit of model work, but the uh, the the station in orbit over Earth in the towards the beginning of the film. Yeah, I read. I actually remember yeah. reading that the, a good hunk of budget went just to that. Yeah, I think I read one quarter of their effects budget went to that scene that lasts all of like. 17 seconds. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was not long. All, well, all that just to see Weir poking out of a window as it backed up onto the total station. That scene, and then there was a, there's a couple scenes later, though, that actually kind of make me thankful I didn't see it in the theater. I don't think I could watch this film in the theater now because I get a little bit of um, 
a little bit of motion sickness, I think, would be induced by a couple scenes, particularly in that one. They do a really great job of as it pulls back and everything's turning. The earth is rotating beneath it. You're kind of doing a spin as you back out, and the space station's there against the earth, and it's like... Ooh, I you know you need a little dramamine for that seventeen seconds. <laughs> You're not gonna quite make it if it's uh, done very well and in IMAX. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely need to close your eyes for a second. <laughs> no, I could see that, uh, but no, I, and that was kind of the neat sense from that is that that you could have easily been um, an astronaut on a spacewalk floating backward away from the window. Mm-hmm. And you're just taking in the view as it uh, it as it widens out. Yeah. It was a good shot. I yeah. thought it was interesting too that they decided to go with a couple smaller companies versus going with someone like ILM or something like that. The uh, the visual effects were done by Mass Illusion Cinesite and Computer Film Company, both European companies. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, it wasn't one of the big names or anything like that. But man, them guys for you know little yeah. companies, they pulled it off. Absolutely. Yeah, they did a great job. As far as set design goes, and between the two ships, this is a definitely a movie of two halves. When we're introduced to the crew of the Lewis and Clark, the Lewis and Clark is very, it's, it's a very kind of grounded uh, as far as the interiors. Yeah, very utilitarian utilitarian lived in you know the walls are dirty it just looks it reminds me of a 1979 alien the look of their ship yeah Uh, to give everyone kind of a a a visual i guess because you know well i guess if you've seen alien you've probably seen event horizon but (laughs) so (laughs) they do kind of go in the same genre yeah uh but then once we board event horizon yeah, like you described it. Yeah, medieval torture chamber. It's um, almost gothic. Uh, it's it's kind of fanciful. It's it looks it's like it Geiger-esque. was Geiger-esque. Yeah, it, it looks like it was designed yeah. by it with by a diseased mind. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember uh, I remember it from the time uh, I saw it in the theater to uh, just really loving it again when I watched it again a couple of days ago and as it showed up on the screen just now. Um, when they went into the the drive section and the mm-hmm. door opens and the thing looks like a meat grinder. Yes. <laughs> I mean it's turning. Yeah, <laughs> As it looks you like walk along the catwalk. It's it's one of the most dangerous funhouse tunnels you'll ever walk through. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> like why are we inside of a blender? Yes, and I do love the fact they obviously this is designed to be as horrific looking as possible, but yet they try to give it. Oh, it's to help uh, protect everyone from the uh, gravitational yeah. forces. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> why literally all of it will dismember you if you touch it. That's for safety. <laughs> And that's when the movie really started falling apart for me, even before <laughs> yeah. the horror stuff started. <laughs> I was thinking, you, know, you mentioned you mentioned the the engine room scene when Justin gets pulled out of the uh, the gateway, mm-hmm. and they're flying towards you know moving towards these spikes, and oh, they're getting impaled. I'm thinking, 
who designs an engine room with big giant spikes in it like that? <laughs> hey, know, that's are, what I'm. Know. That's what I'm thinking as they're flying towards. I wouldn't even worry about. Okay, well they're getting pale. It's just why are they even there? Science Floyd, don't you <laughs> yeah, yeah, Science don't. doesn't know aesthetics, Floyd. <laughs> don't you know that those spikes are there to uh, redirect the gravitational field back on the center? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's all very scientific. I could go into it for okay. hours. Then I'd have to kill you. but no can you imagine being the crew walking onto the ship before it went into its very first black hole and going this is home now yeah (laughs) yeah i'm sorry i frankly i feel like everyone should be wearing like uh furs and 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 a crown and you know (laughs) the captain should have a scepter (laughs) well the the sick bay alone uh, <laughs> Speaking of torture chamber, <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> should the I mean, baby, uh, go ahead. Should the sick bay be well lit? <laughs> yeah. One would hope. <laughs> it really does look like uh, almost. It, it it's very organic for being all metal. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I and I believe that was on purpose. I mean, that that's part of the feel. Is you're like inside of a living thing. Oh, yeah, and I think that was also it falls into what I was saying, where the film wants you to be uneasy. Uh, mm-hmm. Lewis and Clark is very familiar, although none of us have been on a on a spaceship, but it's it looks like a spaceship that we've seen before in film, kind of thing. And so we're like, oh, we're it's comfortable. I know. Okay, I got it. That's the controls. That's the you know, that's how you steer the ship. That's where the captain sits. All right, I understand. It's all good. And the event horizon is strictly designed, or is designed strictly to make you feel uneasy, to make you uncomfortable. Uh, it, it is, and that's where, like, uh, when they even view some of the log files, and uh, and the 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 crew is all happy. At the moment, it just that moment was actually kind of weird for me because I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> how how are you feeling giddy being in this thing that looks like even before it did anything bad to you, it's going to do something bad to you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the event horizon, the design of, of, of the interior of the ship, it was very medieval, very. I think is a, a, just a good way of putting it. Well, and then I also uh, kind of like uh, some of the the notes from like 2001 and the Odyssey. Uh, like I'm staring at it right now, where uh, Weir is in the uh, he's in his drive section and he's gone behind all the medieval torture stuff into like the the, uh, green, the, te- the green tunnel, yeah. the technology, and it feels very much like something out of uh, being inside Hal's brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when he was in there, my thought was, and then, then the, um, the lights started going out, and I thought the only reason he had to go in there was so that the lights could go out and we could feel scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was that was the only reason that, to me, it made no sense to have all that back in there just so that, you know, this catacombs of, of uh, tunnels and passageways. And, and once again, why would you design it like that? 
unless you were designing something that was going to get sucked into a hell universe to come back and scare <laughs> the crew. <laughs> it's like it's like the designers of the spaceship knew where it was going to wind up, so they wanted to make you know well, so they and, wanted and, to make it make it feel at home. And, and that's <laughs> the point: is Doctor Weir is the designer of this ship. See, that's yeah, what I was wondering. Possessed. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know I, I couldn't quite figure out. And that was something I wanted to ask you guys. He does mention that he designed the gravity drive, but do you think he actually designed the entire ship? Hmm. And that's something point. that I was wondering too. He was obviously suffering. Um, he lost his wife. I guess I think it was his wife. His wife committed suicide. We find out in the film through yes. you know, flashbacks, mm-hmm. and so he's dealing with either during while he was constructing uh the event horizon or or just prior to he was dealing with obviously you know strife at home uh possibly the death of of, of his wife and that's where i was saying that you know the ship looked like it was designed by a diseased mind and i wonder if you know weir was kind of destined to kind of go off the deep end one way or the other and that kind of showed through by his actual design of the ship. I think that's where I might have been even going uh, with what I was talking about, wanting some more of that backstory. Mm-hmm. Think how yeah. think how much this would have elevated your point of view on the movie if, in actuality, Weir had designed this thing to be a gateway from hell, maybe not even knowingly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What? Maybe yeah, because was, of the trauma in his uh, in his life. Well, I was thinking too. Maybe and this thought just occurred to me, and I may be, you know, trying to put too much thought into this film with the backstory. <laughs> but but uh, I was thinking maybe at some point something made its way from that hell dimension into ours, and needed a way, a gateway to get back and forth, and so influenced Weir. Mm to build the gravity driving to build the ship that be more uh it would be a better vessel if you will to this entity to come into our universe and in full Ooh, i'll sure. blow your mind even more because if you <laughs> if you pull into the notion of uh how time travels through a singularity um it's very possible it could have gone back in time to create itself in the first place. Oh, there you go. Weir influenced himself. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. interstellar all over again. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, you definitely could have worked in a little bit more backstory kind of thing if you wanted to. I, Tom, I like you know the idea that not even meaning to or – Maybe even thinking or having a theory that you could travel to a plane where he could kind of maybe get his wife back. Yeah, you know, recover uh, her soul. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. See, then that would make sense. I wouldn't have – if they had that kind of backstory, then I would have been more inclined to understand the design mm-hmm. of the ship. Right. And Yeah. Well, and that's – and, and this leads into one of the things that I thought, at least from its horror aspect, that it uh, that it did well. Um, I just didn't think it did it enough. Is those that were experiencing some form of terror on the ship, it was all based on um, either regret or trauma from their 
from their lives. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it is literally a, a, a torment that would be present if one were to be tormented in hell. Um, but we only saw like Peters and we only saw Weirs. Um, not everyone seemed to be having those experiences. Miller bit, did a little bit of Miller, Miller yeah, a yeah. little bit of Miller, yeah, and they latched on the Miller more at the end than through the right. thing. But yeah, he saw something earlier on too. But but yeah, they didn't expand on him because I guess he had to be the strong guy through most of it. But it would have liked I'd, I'd like the slower build. Uh, maybe they all get just a little little pieces here and there as they build up, and then you'd have gotten a little more character development out of all of them too because you'd have gotten more of what brought them to this point and what are their demons in their lives i think it would have been interesting uh, it would have helped um allow them to kind of figure out what's going on is if uh, they were all having these delusions except for someone like uh smith and uh cooper who weren't you know, in the ship, they were always outside on the Lewis and Clark trying to repair it. So they wouldn't have been influenced as much. And that would help them kind of figure out, Oh, wait a minute. It's the ship. It's not anything else. It's not the, you know, would have helped people kind of narrow down why these things are happening to them. Yeah. That would have been interesting. I kept kind of waiting for that. I was thinking, it's been so long, I kind of forgot a little bit, certainly a lot, forgotten a lot of the dialogue. So mm-hmm. I, I thought maybe that would come up. The fact that, you know, Cooper was always out there, you know, welding the ship, and he was always outside on a spacewalk, and it's like, all right, this is going to play, this is going to make a, you know, this is going to end up being important, that he's not being influenced, and everyone else who is on the event horizon is. And no, no, you don't, you don't get anything. No, no. Uh, and I, I I'd like to think maybe that some of that is what Anderson had hoped for and maybe not quite gotten there. But uh, if what you're saying about most of that, uh, it most of his extra footage would have just been pure gore, mm-hmm. <laughs> then there's a missed opportunity here. OK, so let's talk a little bit what we think works for the film and what we think kind of, you know, what 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 dings it for us. So Floyd is. Uh, you said you you don't quite you don't loathe it as much as you used to. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so, is there anything that actually really works for you for the film that you could point out? The beginning of it, you know, and the mystery of trying to figure out what happened, and and the um, the interaction between the crew and and Weir, you know, early on where he's the outcast and mm-hmm. you know they really really don't like him being there and. And he's explaining the you know the gravity drive and all that. I like the science fiction element. And I thought that worked really really well. Right. And yeah, then they a, go on board. Then they go on board the Event Horizon. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I had a feeling that might be a res- your 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 response. You enjoyed the science fiction aspects of it, and as soon as that kind of stuff stops, <laughs> that's that's where it loses you. So I kind of expected that yeah. answer. So Tom, what about yourself? I mean, what what works for you for this film? Um, much like, uh, Floyd's talking about, uh, the, the early stuff, uh, particularly I, the one that sticks with me, it, it's kind of a, a trope, but, uh, um, the conversation early on where the crew is tired, they've, they've already been on a mission 
and now they have to go on this one, and it sounds absolutely awful. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, before they even get to the ship, this this sounds like something they don't want to do. And so their animosity toward Weir, um, not just because of what Weir becomes, but just because this is the man who is, represents the fact that they don't get to go home. Mm. Uh, and so that that played in really well. But I actually liked a lot of um, – they were very good at building that suspense, and it's kind of like we were discussing earlier that those uh, those moments uh, where you, you know something's going to happen, and whether or not anything happens, it got you, it's grabbed you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one that always sticks out for me, uh, and I'm always kind of a fan of however a space movie is going to handle this, but the um, when the Justin character. Um, he he's in the airlock and he gets spaced mm-hmm. and all the build up to that and how they handled it, I thought was just really that stuck with me for years. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. I have to admit that actually both parts kind of work for me. The science, when it's a sci-fi film, it works for me much like Floyd described and, and you know, Tom, you agreed with and the haunted house aspect. I, mm-hmm. I think still works for me, but it is, you know, it, it's kind of what you almost feel like you're watching. It's it's like some, you're watching two different films. You were like, yes. you started watching a movie and then mm-hmm. someone changed the channel yeah. and it just happened to start <laughs> the same people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm totally with you. Okay. And, and that's the thing that you talked about with the, the ship, the two different ships. I mean, they are so distinctly different mm-hmm. that, you are in one vibe in one area, and it's a completely different vibe uh, once you get on the other one. So, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, as far as things that really don't work for me, the one that I always remembered, I don't have as much now as I did. Uh, I remember thinking the ending when uh, we end up with uh, Weir coming back and kind of like doing the... Uh, I always remembered him doing sort of like a, well, you see, Timmy, and explaining a lot of what has transpired. <laughs> right. And watching it this time, it's like, huh. When he does do some explaining, it still leaves a lot up in the air. I mm-hmm. really remembered him explaining exactly what had happened. And he doesn't. Not, you know, and not I'm like, really. oh, no, yeah. no, he really doesn't. Not really. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. So my big gripe with this film didn't exist. It was just in kind of my mind's my mind's eye. I, I I was just falsely remembering. So that was my biggest issue for years, and now I don't have that. Now I watch it, and I kind of yeah. So some of the little just technical little things that kind of bothered me, like um, they explain that there's. You know, there's there's a long hall between the drive section and like the crew quarters of the Event Horizon, and that hall is lined with bombs, and they can they can detonate the bombs, separate the drive, and the crew can use the crew quarters as like a lifeboat. That makes sense. Having the CO2 scrubbers in the drive section <laughs> doesn't really make much sense. No, it actually makes no sense whatsoever, other than to just kind of, oh well, we need a couple of the crew members to be in the drive section when you know, the shit hits the fan again is pretty yeah. much what that boils down to. 
there's that. And then uh, I'll, I'll even admit, um, he, even in 1997, seeing this, uh, the, the stepping into the, uh, the neck of the ship and all those bombs are in the corridor. Uh, I was having a mystery science theater moment where it's just going plot point, plot point, plot point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like as the little red light is blinking, I'm like, this is coming up again. Plot point. <laughs> yep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course the remote detonator is in, is at the last bomb, which is closest to the drive section. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when do you want to be able to remote detonate it from the bridge? Someone <laughs> has to die valiantly, don't yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and who exactly has to run this, like, quarter of a mile up <laughs> yeah. and down the, the <laughs> thing to actually arm the stupid things? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you think, yeah. Uh, I, I realize it's 1997, but I think we could have seen wireless technology coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Possibly, yeah. possibly. <laughs> uh, just another thing that that really jumped out, and I, I guarantee you, back in 1997 or 98 when I first saw this, I wouldn't have picked it out. But when they first enter the event horizon, Miller's the first one in. You know, he's in his spacesuit. He comes like, oh, the whole ship's in a deep freeze. And as he's saying it, you see a water bottle float by with liquid yeah. water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah, you could have timed that better. <laughs> yeah. Or just not had it. I think that was kind of like, that was a design guy. That was a, a CGI engineer sitting there going, look what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, if you're looking for things uh, where where the film goes uh, a, a little awry, uh, for me, I think it was the the rush to the end. Um, yeah. uh, as soon as... It is like as soon as everyone accepts, yes, this is a bad place. Weir Weir goes from trying to save his ship yeah. to becoming the demon king of the ship, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and it just flips like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that made no sense to me whatsoever. Why he suddenly turned like that? Yeah, uh, there, the, there was really no descent in the madness or anything. It was no just... because. Miller's the one that's having the moment. Miller's the one having the moment with the with his background when when it's really we're now in the end game of the of the movie uh, where he's having that 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 former um, um, crew member crew member that that he left for dead burning. And that that guy is climbing out of the pit underneath the drive section and and is burning in front of him. Yet somehow Weir's the one that has gone completely apeshit, and he's 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 <laughs> taking over the whole place. Right. And he's having the um, the uh, the Hellraiser moment and becoming a Cenobite. Yeah, pretty <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's something. You know, we're talking about some influences of the film. Uh, yeah, Hellraiser was a strong influence, and Anderson even admits as much. I mean, he. He's not shy about mentioning the influences that go to the, that went into making this film, and Hellraiser was definitely one of them. Really, you could put this, and I think many people have, they kind of put this into the same universe. Oh, I could easily yeah. see that, yeah. Like, yeah. you could definitely see this. This is 2040's version of, uh, of Hellraiser. Yeah, this is what uh, Hellraiser 5 or whatever in space should have been. Right there alongside of uh, Jason in space. (laughs) (laughs) 
probably not a direct um, influence. The one thing that kept hitting me with um, with the Event Horizon is it looks like a Klingon battle cruiser. Does a little mm. bit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that front bulbous front end, long neck, and then drive section at the back just really stuck with me. That that looked like a Klingon battle cruiser. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do you guys want to hear some of the uh, comments we got from social media when I put out that we were going to be watching this film? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'll start off uh, with a couple things that I got on Twitter here. The gang from I Understood That Reference podcast says that. I like this film. Great music and great performances from Sam Neill. Also, it eschews the usual hero character trope for a bit of a different ending. Good visceral horror with good music, too. I can't honestly agree with the music bit. That was actually one of the first things that really jumped out at me when the film starts, the opening credits, and actually is a film that with opening credits, which is pretty rare to see these days. Mm-hmm. And the opening credits and the ending credits, the music is like bizarre it's that weird techno i mean it's like paul anderson came off the set of mortal Kombat, and he had like a couple <laughs> extra tracks <laughs> and he went oh, I'll, I'll use this in my next movie uh the film maybe during the score during the film i think works great i think is really good uh to the point of where you don't notice it other than the fact that it's making you feel or, or or expect something. And I think that's the way a score should do in a film like this. But the actual opening closing f- music is just so bizarre. It's <laughs> it's as it's as different as the Lewis and Clark is to the event horizon. And maybe right, that was intentional yeah. too. Yeah, it's a little out of place. Yeah. Uh, David Rosen from Piecing It Together podcast. He says, My thoughts are that it's the scariest movie ever made. <laughs> So it definitely left an impression on him. Apparently so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, From the SeaWord podcast, I grew up like many kids, a huge fan of Jurassic Park. You can imagine my shock and horror when uh, 10-year-old me popped into rented VHS of Event Horizon and along with my group of friends proceeded to slowly unravel with terror. To say it stuck uh, with me is an understatement. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I'd like to think that's part of why Sam Neill wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. All right, back over to Facebook. I have uh, Rod Barnett. He said, I've given this film three tries over the past 23 years, and it just does not work. It didn't work in the theater, and it hasn't worked on video. The spot it loses me is when suddenly is when we suddenly have Fishburne talking about things that need much more setup to make the leap to be able to sell it to me. I thought for a long time that there was missing scenes that would have fixed this problem, but it turns out no. It was a script problem to begin with. There are some great images, but it's like watching someone play a scario video game. He says, so, I don't care. <laughs> it's just not a film for him. And I asked him to expound on that to try to, um, exactly what scene that was that he was talking about, because I, I, I didn't catch anything. And he has, and he admits that he would have to rewatch the film to pinpoint where in the running time it is. But it's a scene between Fishburne and one of the other characters soon after they arrived on the event horizon, where he is talking about things that we just don't have any evidence for at that point of the story. It's a massive leap that just isn't explainable outside of missing scenes or bad script writing. So interesting. So I don't know if so much I remember Fishburne making uh, kind of leaps to push the plot. Or if he was just really looking for more of 
that backstory that, that you know Fishburne telling us the, the story about his crew member that he had to let go or something like that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm not sure where he was. Uh, where I, I agree that there are elements that could have been expanded on. Like I said, that the end got rushed um, and all that. But the, I'm not sure which specific thing he's he's going for in those comments. Yeah. And if he truly didn't like it, and he hasn't liked it for three times, I would not ask him to rewatch it. Um. <laughs> so we ask him to rewatch it three more times, is what we're saying. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I need watch the exact time like count. Come on. Uh, Billy Flynn from uh, Geek Radio Daily, he says, ooh, I've always loved this almost brilliant film. <laughs> I think that kind of sums it up a little bit right there, actually. It, it, this film, it, that's kind of how I think. It's almost brilliant, but it doesn't quite cross that line. Yeah, no, and that's how I've always kind of felt about it. It, it, mm-hmm. is it, it. It's good, but there's more there that could make it better. Now, the last comment I have, oh, no, Billy Flynn also says, he says, I have never said to anybody that this is a good movie. I've always said it's an interesting movie. When I saw it, I thought about it for days afterwards. It stuck with me. I have long wanted to see this big mythical original cut that has so much extra footage that might actually have answered the problem Rodney had with the film. Mm. So maybe, but from what I've read, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not if it's just more of the gore. And not that I have anything against gore, but it wouldn't build on it what they've already got. Well, I think it would have, like we were saying before, it would have taken a... uh, what I consider to be a pretty good horror film, and it would have taken away a lot of that horror element. Yeah, no, that's when you cross over straight slasher. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, at that point, it's not even scary. It's just how close can we get you to vomit? <laughs> and then uh, the last comment I had was uh, Chris Cree. Uh, she doesn't have any uh, immediate, I guess, uh, experience with the film but she says after watching this movie one of my brother's friends said he felt like someone owed him an hour and a half of his life back (laughs) so that's a little rough so so clearly a fan (laughs) (laughs) well maybe they need to watch it again like floyd and he'll at least you know appreciate it a little bit (laughs) (laughs) so outside of just uh suggesting that any future ship designers not build their hallways to look like coffins (laughs) Um, I don't know if I have any other thoughts on event horizon. Yeah. I think all these, what we've talked about and then what we just, what I just read kind of sums up. It's almost a great film. It just can't cross that line. There's just little niggly bits that kind of hold it back. When I saw it, when I first saw the film at the end of it, uh, I thought I didn't want them to, escape because i thought okay you've taken me on this journey that i wasn't expecting i really didn't want to go on because i didn't know it was going to happen so show me what's on the other side now mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> i was thinking no don't escape because when, when sam the old when weir says hell's just a word reality is much much worse yeah great line like, yeah it's like okay well let's see it so Floyd and, and, wants the extended cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and and the one thing in the film that they did, they had that that one scene which was where you had something pounding on the door and denting it in. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? What is that? And then all just they just kind of forgot about it and went yeah, away. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was 
that you know reminded me of uh, Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I want to see more of that. What was that thing? And then it just went away. Mm-hmm. So, well, yep. I, I, I'm going to use that for one momentary uh, point that I wanted to get in here, which I thought was interesting while doing a little research around the movie too, is that like I've got an article up here that's from Variety. It's dated back in August of last year, but uh, um, there's supposedly an Event Horizon series in development. I have read about that, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if yeah. I've read that much detail about it, but I do remember hearing that something like that was going to happen. I can't dig in. Uh, I haven't been able to dig in to find anything more about like where it is now um, or if it's actually moving forward beyond development, but uh you want more, somebody wants to make more for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will well, say they did create an interesting, they definitely created an interesting technology and universe, you know, with, with, with the film and a lot, lot more to explore there. I think on the surface, you're thinking where the hell could they go for, with that? But if you go a little deeper, I think you could end up with a series that deals with a lot more of the psychological which Absolutely. Is, which is definitely yeah. sounds like what we are all kind of looking for a little bit here. This is where you'll get more of that uh, that character development, diving into what makes these people who they are and why they're here in this time and what are the demons that haunt them in their lives. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the uh, kind of the buildup before the big finale kind of thing, uh, where we see the the few people dealing with the influence from the ship stretch that out out over you know 10 or 12 episodes which just slow it down and give it that slow burn and where it's just kind of pitting everyone kind of against each other a little bit i i could see this working i mean it would almost yeah. you you could do it as sort of a a real dark american horror story meets stargate uh universe Kind of you thing. could do you could do some mind bending cast uh, cast stuff too, where uh, um, tell the sto- story in multiple parts. Where um, we're talking about the the first crew that went out on the event horizon and what happened with them, while you're also telling the the finding the event event horizon later and what's happening with them and bringing mm. the two stories together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, that's a very good point. I mean, what we see from the original crew was all supposedly after they've or when they've traveled, they've used the gravity drive. But maybe that's not the full story. You know, maybe there was moments. Maybe it started influencing them long before they actually, you know, traveled to whatever universe they traveled to. Absolutely. Yeah, you can definitely and, tell a story. Yeah. And you could get some solid uh, um, sponsorship from Cuisinart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hall uh, apparently was so disturbing, even for the actors. Uh, no one could actually go through it uh, without stumbling. So there, there was scenes like Lawrence Fishburne has to like you know run down that gantry, and he couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> they had to edit together like several takes. Oh my god! I, I can only imagine what this 
spinning and you just not taking your eyes off the blades as they turn. Yeah, even the, uh, the the camera crew was having a really tough time for whatever reason. They didn't use any kind of dolly. Well, I guess because the whole gantry was visible, but they had someone with a steady cam trying to walk down this thing following people and they, they couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, just, I just have this thought back to um, Galaxy Quest when... Um... <laughs> when, I when know the exact scene. <laughs> Why is this here? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah. No, that that it. Oh, God, now. Oh my God, I can't stop thinking about that now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine. I, I can't believe nobody walked into that and go, "Why is this here?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's actually funny in a way. It, they it kind they of kind admit of it in the film. The one guy, I guess it's Justin, he's walking down. He's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like a meat grinder. Yeah. yeah. And they give some goofy techno babble about it. And they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> We're going now. Yeah. <laughs> It's the minute that door opened up, I don't know why they said, nope, we're out of here. Yep, Nobody's done. Alive. See ya. <laughs> why is it there? It's there to scare you. Yes. It worked. <laughs> All right. Well, anyone else have any thoughts on Event Horizon? I don't. That, that's a no. Well, buy your copy today. <laughs> <laughs> Half price book, six bucks. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Well, first, I should I want to thank uh, Tom and Floyd for joining me once again. This has been a lot of fun. Yes, it has. Always. I I had a feeling that uh, Floyd. I had a feeling with you coming on. You you said you had strong feelings about this film. I thought, <laughs> yeah. hmm, he's going to be the dissenter in the crowd for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I think Although that was... I would watch a series. I would watch a series though. I would be interested in seeing yeah. what a series had to offer. Yeah, absolutely. There's yep. potential there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you very much. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. And any thoughts or comments, go ahead and send them to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Or join the Facebook group as well. Of course, uh, never uh, never think it's too late to put a comment about any any topic we've talked about, You know, this episode, past episodes whatever you like be happy to hear from you that's gonna do it we'll be back in another couple weeks so until then bye see you guys